The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Many individuals try to find success on a daily basis. But what defines this success? Where does it come from? When you find a passion in your life and pursue this passion, everything can come together to form success. This is Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. Our guests will motivate you to take the next step to your success. Now, here's your host, David Wallach. Buongiorno a tutti. Good morning, everybody. That was in Italian, and uh, you'll figure out soon why I said it in Italian, why I greeted everybody in Italian. Um, As we all are aware, um, it doesn't matter whether you're a student, uh, working in an office, an entrepreneur, a soldier, there's one thing we all share, and it's common to everybody. We all love to eat. So today, we're moving into the kitchen, and our guest, Chef Giuseppe De Gennaro, owner, chef, and partner at Cotto Italian Comfort Food. Buongiorno, Chef Di Gennaro. Buongiorno, good morning. Come stai? Bene, grazie. Um, so he feels very, very well, apparently, uh, in Italian. Um, let me introduce uh, Giuseppe to you. Uh, I can, can I call you Giuseppe or of Joe? Of course, it's uh, what my mom uh, would prefer, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I hope she listens in Italy. She, maybe she will. I'm not sure. Okay, she, yeah. perfect. Uh, we can send her the link after. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> uh, so Giuseppe was born in a town named Pozzuli. Uh, which is a small port town just west of Napoli, uh, known as Naples. And uh, until uh, Giuseppe was born, the town was known for uh, one lady called Sofia Loren. Uh, By the way, uh, Giuseppe's dad went to school with Sofia. And um, being a poor town, you know, everybody in that town was supposed to be a naval officer, a sailor, or, or something to do with the sea. Um, and we'll learn later uh, how Giuseppe ended up in the kitchen and not on the seas. Uh, however, uh, the loss of the Italian Navy is our, our win as uh, Giuseppe is teaching us a lot of, about Italian good food and, and comfort food and high-end, uh, high-dining, uh, high-fine dining in uh, Calgary. Um, Giuseppe left uh, Italy at age, just before you were 18? Uh, yes, yes. Okay. Yes. And uh, started pursuing a career in London first? London, UK, yes. And uh, then he found his wife there, Fiona. That's correct, yes. I, uh, was, uh, I was in London for, uh, I think, about three, three and a half years before I met Fiona. And then we were in London for another year and a half together. And then uh, we moved to Australia after that. And then, uh, yeah, Fiona is from Australia. You moved to Australia. I spent a few years yes. in Australia. Yes. And in 1996... Um, Fiona and Giuseppe arrived in Calgary with the intention to open a restaurant. Um, in January op- uh, 2000, uh, Giuseppe opened his first Calgary restaurant, which was El Sonio, uh, yes. together with a partner. Um, a few of the awards that El Sonio won were Rising Star Best New Restaurant by Wear Magazine in 2000, uh, Top 10 Restaurant in Calgary in, Mag- in Avenue Magazine in 2002. 
Uh, Giuseppe uh, left Il Sonia in 2005, and in 2006 he opened uh, Capo as the executive chef and owner. Um, to name all the awards that Capo won, we'll probably need another hour, um, but I will uh, name a few. Uh, 2006, Enwood Magazine chose Capo as the number two best new restaurant in Canada not just in Western Canada. Uh, Capo received many more awards uh, for Wear Magazine, Avenue Magazines, uh, awards such as 2006 Best New, Best New Restaurant, Best European Restaurant, and uh, 2007 to 2011, five years in a row, Best Fine Dining. Yes. Um, and the list goes on and on. Um, probably the most important is the awards recognize Chef Di Gennaro's talent. Um, a few, la- a few years later, uh, same time as he sh- still owned Capo, he opened uh, Borgo, which was a family dining, family kind of restaurant, and we'll talk about it later. And last month, uh, Chef Di Gennaro opened with his partner, Rob, uh, Cotto Italian Comfort Food. Uh, that's where we're sitting today. Thank you for hosting us. Uh, again, Chef, uh, chef uh, Buongiorno, and let's dive into some questions. All right. Excellent. Um, so, tell us a little bit about the Italian family that we hear only watching movies. And you know, in a small town in Italy, I just came back from Italy a few months ago. Um, how is it? Tell me about your family, sisters, brother. Well, Italian families usually are uh, very close. Uh, there's always uh, lots of gathering. Even when the kids are old enough to move out, usually they stay home. Uh, that's the nucleus of uh, you know. Uh, so, uh, families are close together, very tight, and uh, dad is the guy that goes to work. Mom usually is the lady that stays home and she takes care of the kids and cooks for the kids and the family. So um, there's always a a, a large respect for each other. Um, I'm not saying that siblings do not fight or anything among themselves, they do, but uh, there's always a certain amount of respect and um, closeness. Uh, To this day that I have lived away from home for about uh, over 30 years now, and uh, I still am I'm in contact with my uh, mom, with my sisters, and uh, you know, like I never left, so I'm still part of the family. And after 30 years, they still miss me. That's how close fa- Italian families are. Um, you, you know, they miss you, or you hope they miss you. Well, I hope they miss me, but <laughs> that, that's what they say. <laughs> But um, yeah, the, the, the special thing about Italian family is it comes always at the table. It's when uh, the whole family gathers around the table. And it's always like a special event when you say, whether it's a lunch on a, on a Monday or a dinner on a Sunday night, it's always a special event. Um, you sort of sit at the table and your life just takes a, a different uh, uh, view of uh, what's supposed to be because the food just changes your, for those, you know, some people go into uh, alcohol to forget. The Italians go into food to forget, you know, <laughs> like for an hour, two hours, you have lunch or dinner, you forget about the worries of the world and you just enjoy the food that is on the table. And But you eat with gracefulness. I mean, you don't eat to get stuffed. You eat to... Uh, uh, and you savor the flavors of the food and the amounts that uh, uh, the amounts that uh, you, um, uh, you you have are uh, balanced. Uh, so a balanced diet is always the one of the biggest thing in, in Italian families. One question I have for you: uh, When we kind of prepared for our uh, interview here, you mentioned that you came after four sisters. You yes. have four older sisters. Yes. So. 
what is the true pecking order? Were you the spoiled kid boy after four sisters that everybody was, you know, pampering and then supporting and you were completely spoiled by your dad? Well, I think I was. Um, uh, you know, I, after four, I, my mom sort of like after four kids, probably she left me to be tended by my older sisters, really. Uh, and uh, I, uh, yeah, I was spoiled. And my dad was, of course, you know, like uh, I was the first boy in the family. So um, I had a special attention to, uh, <laughs> uh, to myself. And uh, then my brother came along after me, so because my dad wanted to have another boy to keep me company. So two years later, my brother came along. So, oh, I see. Yeah. Now, we all, uh, I mentioned earlier, we kind of watched the Italian families and movies. And usually in those movies, uh, the mama is the one standing in the kitchen and cooking. Uh, how was it in your household? Was it the same? Pretty much, yes. Um, you know, although we're talking about an older generation as well, so probably things nowadays have changed somehow. Uh, you know, um, the, the family nucleus has, has sort of uh, changed through the years. But my mom, yes, my mom has always been a person that um, has been on, uh, you know, working on the stove in the morning, at night, the, the lady provided all the meals. Uh, and as my sister grew older as well, they sort of, they, they helped around the house as well and they started cooking with it. I never really cooked at home with my mom. I think I have to say that uh, one thing I have to thank my mom for is the fact that she cooked great food and she inspired my palate to become what it is today. Uh, but she really never uh, paid any special attention to me in terms of I'm going to teach you how to cook. Uh, it was never the case. I mean, I would rather be outside, play soccer and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. Uh, but, you know, uh, I started cooking when I was about, well, I was young, very young age, but when I moved to London, when I started cooking professionally, I, um, I cooked uh, remembering the flavors of my mom. Uh, and that's what sort of inspired me more, uh, more and more to recreate those flavors. And, uh, and I think uh, she did a good job at, uh, with, with my palate anyways. Yeah. So, by the way, do you use some of her recipes to that or did you use them during your career? I, uh, I I did and I still do to this day. Uh, some I tweak uh, uh, just a little bit, just to make them a little more accessible to North American uh, palates. But uh, uh, but for most part, yes, I've uh, I've had my own creations. But uh, I used uh, plenty of uh, my mom's uh, with her authority as well. I mean, it's, <laughs> I didn't uh, steal the recipe; it was authorized by her as well. I see. So you still uh, call her and ask for advice? I do. I do. I, I call um, pretty much all, almost every Sundays. Uh, we always have a little chat, and she's older lady now, and uh, but she still cooks, and she still tells me, uh, you know, what she's preparing for the day and all that. So it's uh, it's very inspirational. And, uh, so if you had to rank now the family, who is the best cook? I think in terms of home food, I think my mom will always be, always be the best. <laughs> I, I come close second. Uh, but I cook more like a professional that, so I'm sort of a little more disciplined in the kitchen. I need to have helpers around me to be able to, to perform. My mom can do it all by herself. So that's, that's a big difference. So you will hire her if she immigrates to I, Canada? I would, for sure, yes. Absolutely. I see. Um, last question about, um, you know, uh, the place of your birth, uh, the, the town of uh, Pozzoli. Um, did you have a chance to see Sophia Loren when you grew up, or she never came to, back, to, no, back you to know, visit? No, uh, she came back to visit in, I think it was 1999, but I was away at, at that point. I was already out of the country. Uh, but she did come uh, to Pozzuoli, and she, um, I remember, it was a bit of a controversy because for the longest time, she had made people believe that she was born in Rome. 
and and all that. She was a little bit probably at the time. Um, I don't know, maybe a little bit uh, uh, afraid to say that she was from the south of Italy or something, and uh, maybe would ruin her uh, popularity or uh, her famous uh, status or something. Uh, but in 1999, she came back to Pozzuoli and she asked for forgiveness in in, in the uh, town square. And did your father forgive her? Uh, he did. Yes, yes, <laughs> he did. As he went to school with her, right? He did. Yeah. Um, one more question before you kind of we move forward is, um, you know, living in South Italy, uh, the town of Pezzuoli, next to west of Napoli, uh, you are a big football fan. I am. And I'm yes. talking football that is played with a foot, not yes, with a hand. Yes, absolutely, yes. Um, did you have the chance to see Napoli win the championship with Maradona? I did, yes. Um, and I remember '86, uh, we had a first uh, uh, Scudetto, the first uh, championship we won. And I was already in London, but I traveled all the way down south, south, south of Italy, just for that, just to witness the, the victory and uh, <laughs> celebrating. And it was like a three months celebration. Like the celebrations never stopped. It went, they went on. You know, there's been other teams in Italy, like Inter Milan, Juventus, that they win the championships and they celebrate one day and then they're done. In Naples, just uh, the celebration carried on for three months. I never stopped. It was a party every day. It was, a, it was crazy. So, so um, you go to a naval school. Yes. Because that's, you told me, the tradition in your hometown. Yes, yes. And what happened there? Uh, well, it's, it was always a requirement for if you're born in Pozzuoli, uh, because as you were mentioned, mentioning before, it's uh, being a poor town, you sort of, you uh, are uh, obliged to attend that kind of school. Uh, I did uh, go to uh, to naval school, and I uh, spent four years in naval school. I didn't finish. I was five years, but I never finished school. I moved to London eventually, and I decided not to uh, pursue that uh, that career. Um, I don't think it was for me. I, I'm, I get seasick very easily, so it wasn't for me anyways. Um, <laughs> With all the it, pasta in the belly. I know, you get exactly, seasick. exactly. And uh, it was all boys' school as well, so it was really tough, you know, like on a teenager. Uh, but uh, it was great school. I mean, I a lot and um, we did a lot of uh, practice uh, you know we got on uh, commercial ships and we we traveled the Mediterranean as well as school so it was a lot of fun so you decide to leave Italy and move to London yes um, why London well I, I wanted to learn the language first of all I wanted to learn English um, for me uh, my goal was to get to North America America eventually and uh, uh, so London was my first step to learning English uh, so I traveled to London and I had a little bit of experience in the restaurant business. I worked in restaurants in, in my hometown, but nothing really fancy, just simple restaurants. And uh, so when I went to London, I started uh, my career in real restaurants, like, uh, you know, like uh, um, serious chefs and serious maitre d's and uh, uh, dishes had fancy names and all that. So I was, uh, I got... I dove into that, and for me, it was like so exciting that I, the food could be that beautiful, and that's when my career started. Really, I mean, uh, I started to have the bug for food. I uh, I decided that that's what I, what I wanted to do. And uh, so, when you moved to London, you knew that food was your passion, or you discovered it in London as a passion because the easiest way to get a job was to get to a restaurant and start at the bottom. Well, I, I didn't know that food was my passion when I went to London. I thought that food was was a big part of my life because I always enjoyed food. Uh, but when I went to London, I realized that without going to culinary school, that I knew 
about food more than uh, a lot of the guys that I worked with that actually did go to uh, culinary school. And, uh, and that sort of really ignited my passion for food because all of a sudden I said, you know, why do I know so much without even going to school? And I realized that maybe it's a natural uh, niche that I have, you know, that I should pursue. And that's what I did. I mean, I, uh, I remember I worked for a lot of uh, uh, very... Uh, you know, tough chefs uh, where they really put a lot of pressure on me. And, uh, but, you know, thanks to them at the time, probably I, I swore at them every, every day, but thanks to them, that's where I am today and uh, who I am today as a chef as well. I see. Uh, and then you meet Fiona during the, your stay in London. Yes. And uh, you guys get married in London or in Australia? In London. We got married in London at the registry office. <laughs> and just the two of us, on my day off, mind you. I, I didn't take time off. I just got married on my day off. So the next day I was, was back at work. And That's a great honeymoon. I know, I know. We, we didn't have one. So. <laughs> well, you know, you could still have it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, we're going to talk about your uh, trip to Australia um, after the commercial. We are kind of uh, getting close to a commercial break. And, um, you know, I really want to thank you for uh, sharing with us some of your recipes. Yes. Uh, I know not a lot of chefs are like to do that in uh, kind of in the public domain, share their recipes. Um, and uh, so we're going to share your recipes with your permission. Absolutely. Uh, and... Uh, so, uh, guys, open another tab on your computer, and uh, we're going to share through our uh, social media some of Chef Giuseppe De Gennaro's uh, recipes. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can try them, enjoy them. If you need someone to taste how they are, that would be awesome. I can come and taste. Uh, we'll, we'll catch you after the, the break. Okay. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit VoiceAmerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. 
tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I-Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. We're back with you and with uh, Chef Giuseppe De Gennaro. So, uh, Chef, tell me uh, one question I have to you, for you. Is you guys, uh, Fiona and you, decide to move from London to Brisbane, Australia. It's a big move. Um, what have you? What did you do there? Um, when I when we got to, uh, it was a big move. First of all, it was, it was uh, a huge culture shock for me when we got there. Uh, well, I worked in restaurants as well. I started working in, in kitchens as well. Um, I was in Australia for five years, and I uh, spent those five years working at the same place. Moved my way from the kitchen to general manager of the hotel I was working in. Uh, for that, that, that's a that's a weird move. Why did you do that? And I just wanted to experience uh, not only the back of the house but front of the house. Um, and management as well, because my intention was to open my own place, and I wanted to know that. Um, I always thought that uh, if you do open a business, you should know your entire business. You can only know one side of it and not the other, and then rely on hired people to run it for you. So I wanted to uh, experience that, and um, and I thought I did a pretty good job. I mean, we, we increased sales and uh, at the restaurant, and uh, things went uh, from zero to, to 10, like in, in in, in, in a year. So uh, we actually turned the business around. So it was pretty exciting. So from London to Brisbane, yes. Um, was there a huge culinary difference? Um, at the time there was. Uh, yeah, you also have to um, uh, remember that uh, mid-80s to early 90s, London, uh, food in London was not the best. Uh, it's not as good it was not as good as it is now today with a lot of celebrity chefs and, and the Ramses and the Jimmy Olivers and all that. So we didn't have those kind of chefs at the time uh, in London. We had a lot of French chefs that uh, they still carried on with their Michelin kind of restaurants and they were very, um, you know, intimidating kind of restaurants for a lot of people to go to. But, uh, but in terms of English cuisine, uh, you know, it didn't really exist. You had to go to pubs to have your shepherd's pies and things like that. Uh, when I went to uh, Brisbane, things did change in terms of, uh, in, in a culinary kind of way because um, it wasn't a fancy kind of approach to cuisine. Uh, Australia's come a long way as well. I mean, in those days, uh, um, Australia was a little bit behind in terms of flavors and techniques and all that kind of stuff. But uh, but I think uh, what was nice about um, the food in Australia was if it was fresh. Uh, I started working with, you know, fresh prawns and fresh calamari and came into the restaurant like moving still in the box. <laughs> and that was like a great pleasure to work with that kind of stuff. Whereas in London, it was always like your box, it was a block of calamari, you had to defrost it, it was already clean, you just have to cut it. So learning in Australia, it was, it was great to learn that kind of uh, process in the kitchens. So you moved to Calgary with the intention to open your own restaurant in 96. Yes. I think it was summer. Uh, you opened your first restaurant in January 2000 in Sonio. So four and a half years, what did you do? Uh, four, and half, uh, four and a half years, I spent um, time working in, um, in different restaurants. Uh, once again, um, mostly in front of the house as well, because I wanted to uh, build a, a network of customers for myself. I wanted customers to know me so I could attract them to my restaurant when I was, uh, when I was ready to open one. And uh, so I worked a few uh, years at uh, Pasquale's on McLeod, which is a 
nice little restaurant on McLeod Trail. Then from there I moved to uh, to the Guido, who um, has recently sold his business, so it doesn't exist anymore. But uh, it was a one of, at the time one of the uh, you know top five Italian restaurants in in Calgary, I would say. So I learned a lot from both restaurants, and uh, but um, at the same time I did what I. Uh, I achieved what I was uh, looking for, the, that connection with customers and also the, uh, the ability to, uh, to make them believe in me. Uh, that was a, a, a challenge, but I did that. So when I did open my restaurant, people came to me because of that. So a lot of people want to go into the culinary industry and a lot of people have the dream to open a restaurant or a food establishment. Um, what were the challenges to open your first restaurant? Uh, to open the first restaurant was uh, it was a huge challenge. Uh, but you know it's 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 a huge challenge anytime you want to open a business altogether. But restaurants are a challenge. Um, because my first one was, first of all, um, not enough um, uh, finances available for to open a restaurant, and you sort of uh, living on this uh, dream that you want wanted to come true, and uh, so you do anything to open your own first restaurant, and so financially you don't care. You you start getting partners left and right. And first of all, we had like fifteen different partners with El Sonio, so. Uh, I would never do anything like that today, <laughs> but uh, at the time, anything for me to to be able to open a restaurant, I would do anything. And 15 partners were not even enough. So you had to go for a vote for, on the menu with 15 partners. Well, yeah, well, you know, there was a lot of a lot of meetings, a lot of uh, you know um, partners kind of meetings and all that. But I had the the, the authority on the menu, so I was the guy <laughs> making the menu. Uh, were there any sleepless nights? Many, many. I uh, many sleepless nights. I uh, I initially first month probably I slept in the basement of the restaurant. Um, I had a little cot and I slept in the in the on the cot in the basement uh, because during the night I would get up and go upstairs and stir the veal stock and all that kind of stuff because I, there was no not enough time to get everything ready. So I I spent lots of you know like I had a young family at the time so my daughter had just born as well. So I never spent any time at home. I was at the restaurant like 24, 24 hours. I yeah. see. Um, so you, you just mentioned that uh, during what you, your answer, you kind of uh, hinted that uh, chef is also a dreamer. Absolutely. But are you also a gambler? Because at the time when you old guys opened El Sonio, Western Canada was known for steak and potato and burger and fries, not for fine dining Italian or fine dining French. So that's a big gamble. Yes. You have to do a culture shift. How did that work? What did you guys do to create that culture shift? Well, it was uh, it was tough. Um, definitely, chefs have to be dreamers. They have to dream up their uh, not just their dishes, but they have to dream up their uh, their concept. Uh, and of course, you need a certain amount of luck on your side as well, because you need to um, luck, be lucky enough that people are going to enjoy the concept that you dreamed about. Um, and, Opening a business is a gamble, regardless. But uh, opening a restaurant uh, in Calgary in those days, when, as you mentioned, it was a steak and potatoes kind of uh, city uh, or town at the time, um, it was it was very challenging. People were used to that, and uh, so when we opened, we came across maybe a little bit uh, uh, full of ourselves, pretentious. Uh, but we quickly changed their mind because the flavors were there; they were, they were great. And uh, and when we started getting reviews from different magazines, not just local magazines, but national from, from all of Canada, 
Calgarians started to wake up to the uh, to the reality that uh, Sonia was a restaurant to reckon, and uh, and they start coming and flocking in, and that's where the whole thing started, and it, it was great. Uh, to this day, I can consider myself maybe a pioneer of the modern Italian cuisine because we combined uh, Italian flavors, typical Italian flavors, with uh, international French uh, presentations, something that didn't exist in Calgary so and we did that and people were just impressed with the whole concept and that was it was a gamble that went well so so um, you have you're part of Il Sonio for five years or five and a half years yes and then um, you uh, sell your share or you leave Il Sonio and you decide that it's not high it's not high-end enough for fine dining, and you open Capo, which that's where we met for the first time, and uh, you opened it in 2006, yes. and you set probably the bar in Calgary for small, high, oh, sorry, high-high-end pricing, high-high-end fine dining, Yes, um, which I remember before the first time I visited, which followed by many visits, uh, that people were talking about, oh, that's so expensive, so... What was the dream there? Well, the dream was that uh, with Osonio, I enjoyed uh, the whole concept and it was great, but uh, I found that uh, at one point I had hit a brick wall and I, and I, and I thought, nah, there's no more, uh, there's no more I can go to. And, you know, I've reached a limit. Uh, with Capo, it was different. Uh, first of all, I went into Capo without a partner. Uh, so decisions were made by me and only. So whether I took the the, the prices, if everything went well, and I took the blames, if things went wrong. So and I was more than happy to to uh, be in that situation. Um, but um, I wanted to bring uh, Capo to Calgary because I thought that Calgary needed. Uh, a really good high-end restaurant, but not just high-end like big prices on the menu. Because at the time, a lot of restaurants had big prices on the menu, but that's all they—that's the extent of the high-end. Uh, it was just a high price. The rest, it was undetailed. There was no tablecloths on the table. If there was, it was like crumbled and uh, the napkins were made of polyester and uh, all these kind of things. I, Capo for me was uh, a turnaround. I had Egyptian cotton uh, tablecloths and we ironed. Uh, we had Egyptian cotton napkins. Uh, no, no, no. Wait, stop here. Yes. You didn't iron it on the side. I was sitting there having dinner yes. and your waiter was ironing tablecloth next it. to me yes. because he was setting the table next to me for the next guest. Exactly. And I exactly. was like, I didn't know whether I should watch my plate and eat or watch here someone doing clo- uh, uh, ironing next to me in a restaurant. That was completely new to us. It was, it was new, and uh, but I, that was part of the show as well. So people understood that, sure, it was, it was a high-end restaurant and it was pricey, uh, but you saw uh, real profession, professionals in action uh, doing uh, exactly what they're supposed to do. Um, it didn't matter how busy it was, that server still had to iron the tablecloths. Um, and for me, it was, uh, it was a, just a pleasure to, uh, to this day, it was one of my biggest pleasure, uh, pleasures in life that, that, I've, that I've done um, because, because of that, because uh, I was together with a bunch of professionals in front of the house, back of the house, and we made um, small history in Calgary. It was, it was great. Um, the other thing that I remember from Capo is uh, the window. The yes. window between the kitchen and the restaurant. It was a very small and cozy restaurant, only 36 uh, seats. Yes. seats. Yes. And you were sitting at the window during the entire service, and every plate had to go under your magnifying glass. Yes. And for me, that was an experience. I've never seen it before. Um, 
how did the staff react to, okay, there's a staff sergeant here watching everything we do? Well, you know, in, in, uh, in 2006, when we opened uh, Capo, um, there wasn't uh, staff in Calgary that was trained at a very high level in the culinary arts. Um, and um, so it, it was difficult for a lot of people to come and work in my kitchen and find out all these do's and don'ts, regulations and all that. They never really heard of any of that stuff before. So, and for me, it was like uh, installing a discipline among staff first. It was the biggest challenge. Uh, but once you get to that point, um, they were super proud of working at, at Capo because they, they knew they were working in a special place. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, there was attempts from other staff, staff members in the kitchen to, uh, to plate the food, but I was the guy plating it. I did not take a day off. We were close one day a week. One day a week, uh, I plated everything that you saw on the plate. It was plated by me, and uh, it was different. It was strange, but um, but it worked. People enjoyed it, and uh, I enjoyed it uh, because everybody had a chef's attention. Uh, every single plate had a chef's uh, attention to it. So it was a. Now you told me a story about one incident you had with your sous chef. Um, that you didn't think that they did the after-dinner work so well. Yes. So can you share with us this it was. A, it was um, I have to say, it was, it was a busy night that we had, and, and after uh, the shift was uh, ended, um, you know, the regular cleanup uh, happened, and then everybody left, and sous chef came to me, because at the end of the night, I would do a supervision of the kitchen to make sure that uh, everything was done properly, and uh, went in the kitchen, and found the kitchen in a state of, not to my standards, so it was a sort of disaster. It wasn't dirty, but it was not to my standards. And... Um, so I, uh, I had the crazy idea to get my sous chef to call everybody back. Uh, and it was there was one o'clock in the morning <laughs> and everybody came back to the restaurant to clean the kitchen. So um, how many resigned the next morning? Nobody did actually, nobody <laughs> did. I, I was surprised. I, I knew that it was, it was a big risk right there. I knew that it was a, uh, taking a risk, but uh, nobody did. Um, they came, they cleaned the kitchen properly and they went home and they came back the next day and everybody was, uh, was happy and uh, maybe unhappy, I don't know. but. Uh, uh, but ultimately, I think they they learned one great thing about Capo. There was a serious restaurant. It was not something you uh, joke. Uh, you, you didn't come to Capo to joke around. You came to um, you know work and learn uh, how things are properly done. Um, you mentioned in your answer the word you, you you basically said. I had a crazy idea to call them back and. Being kind of a consumer of food and kind of watching a little bit of Chef's Table and other uh, uh, other TV shows about chefs, uh, there is kind of an idea that chefs are crazy. Uh, yeah, uh, you can say that. It's. Uh, I know I can. I just yes, said. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wait. I'm just asking for your kind of uh, clarifying. I, that. I, will, I will confirm on that. It's. Uh, uh, in my situation as well, I mean, there's a different degrees of craziness in, among chefs, but uh, there's the ones that they put their name and career and reputation on the line, and those are the craziest ones. Um, with Capo especially, I had a lot on the line that I uh, wanted to keep um, uh, intact and uh, did not want anybody that came from outside uh, getting paid f by me uh, to do a job, do it badly, and then me having a bad reputation. It just didn't sound like a good uh, business kind of transaction. So I, um, yeah, you know, the craziness comes because you want your staff to do things exactly the way you want it. And it is a dictatorship in a kitchen. It's not, it's not, there's no democracy in a kitchen. 
what I say, what goes, whether it's wrong or right, that's how it goes. And so there's no opinions or, uh, you know, why don't we do this this way or that way? Uh, question. Way. There's no opinion during service or there's no opinion period if there are even after service? There's, there's no, no opinion, uh, full stop. Yes, there's no opinion. <laughs> I see. So it's a crazy dictatorship. Uh, okay, perfect. It Was Capo your statement? Yes. As a chef? It was, it was my statement as a chef. I, um, I put uh, my heart and soul on, on the plate. Uh, and people enjoy it and uh, I can testify for that yes <laughs> and uh, so it, it was a, a jewel in my in my career for sure um, the other restaurants that I've that I've had like Sonio even Borgo uh, in, in uh, um, you know we, we had uh, lots of fun we uh, Sonio for me was a great springboard professionally speaking so it threw me into a different level of uh, culinary level uh, on the other hand, Borgo was more of a, a chef becoming entrepreneur, uh, trying to um, create a concept and put it out there. But also, it wasn't hands-on as it was at Capo. Um, Borgo was a little more um, having your sous chefs running the kitchen, and making sure that uh, things went the right direction. And it did for a while. It did for a while. We'll talk about uh, Borgo shortly. Uh, but at Borgo, I remember you still sat and watched every plate. But we'll talk about it after the yes. break. Um, we are getting closer to our second commercial break. break. Uh, don't forget to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, connect with us on LinkedIn. Uh, again, we're with Chef uh, Giuseppe De Gennaro at Cotto Italian Comfort Food. And we're going to share another, another couple of uh, recipes on uh, our uh, social uh, network. Uh, talk to you later after the commercial. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You 
tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. And we're back at uh, Coro Italian Comfort Food with Chef Giuseppe De Gennaro. Uh, Joe, um, while you had Capo, which was, as you said, your statement, you decided to open another restaurant, which is more of a family style, Borgo. Yes. Um, what's that shift? I just wanted to, uh, uh, Borgo was, a, was a, an outlet for me to uh, provide uh, my existing customers from Capo, but also uh, new customers. A, uh, the same flavors that you would get a, at Capo, but in a more casual way, a more approachable, more affordable uh, place you could go out to uh, twice a week rather than just for special occasions. Um, so, and uh, once again, it was more of an entrepreneurial uh, kind of uh, um, uh, business that I, that I had in mind. It was a concept that I wanted to do a long time, and I wanted to bring out that sort of farm-to-table kind of concept. And... Um, it was a little different in the beginning because the Borgo, you actually, the menu was designed in a very uh, awkward way, in a good way, awkward for, for a lot of customers that were not used to it because you'd buy a, a lot of the appetizers by the piece. So you don't, you didn't buy a portion, you made your own portion. So if you wanted to have a prawns as an appetizer, you could buy one prawn or two or three or four. So every item was priced individual, uh, individually, so you could uh, make your own portion and spend as little or as much as you wanted. So in the beginning, it was very confusing to customers, but once that was clarified, it took on quite nicely, and people really enjoyed that. I see, and then what happened at Borgo is you left Borgo, and you decided to travel to Italy. Yes. Um, and what was the plan in Italy, and what happened? Um, after we had to um, sort of give up Borgo for um, different reasons, um, I uh, sort of took a little bit of, um, you know, a sabbatical for a few months. I wasn't doing much. And, and uh, then I got a call from a friend that, uh, from Italy uh, that he had a place in Siena, in the, in the Chianti Hills. Uh, he was uh, about to open a B&B uh, place, and he was looking for a, an executive chef to launch this B&B. And, um, and he wanted me to work for him or with him in that uh, venture because his idea was to um, uh, predominantly deal with Canadian customers. So tours, bus tours of customers coming to the wineries, staying in the B&B. And because I had been in Calgary cooking for Canadians for a long time, he wanted somebody that could um, provide you know, North American flavors uh, or Italian food that would be a North American flair. Um, so I, I went to see him and, uh, and that's when hell broke loose because I, on the way to see my friend, I got into a car accident. I was in a taxi cab and on the way to see him and uh, we got into a car accident and that was the end of the job. And uh, I was thankful it wasn't the end of my life, but it was a, a semi-serious kind of accident. The taxi driver had a, ba- a bad kind of, uh, he was in bad conditions. I wasn't too bad. I had a twisted leg and a dislocated jaw, but um, I was out of order for a month, two months probably with recovery time and all that. Um, and uh, then I decided after that, I took a very different view on life because when you come that close to, you know, end it, 
uh, I took a different view on life and um, I uh, told Fiona to take the kids to Australia because uh, she hadn't been in Australia for 12 years. So she hadn't seen her mom and sisters in 12 years. So I said, you go to Australia when as soon as I can, I'm recovered and I'm, I feel better, I, I come and join you. And that's what I did. I, a few months later, I went over to Australia. We spent some time there together and relaxed. We didn't do anything at all. Uh, do a lot of fishing, um, running and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, we decided to come back to Calgary because uh, we thought we were ready for an adventure. So, so you didn't work at all in Australia? I, I did work in Australia, um, more like a, a given a hand, more, more than work. I mean, I wasn't really being paid like, a, you know, paycheck kind of thing. It was a little bit of reward here and there. But I did uh, work uh, for a friend in Australia at an Italian restaurant. And I designed the menu for him, and we uh, re—he had just taken over this restaurant in Australia, and uh, so we uh, had a, a new menu. We did some uh, uh, renovations as well, and um, within three months that I was there, we won the best Italian restaurant in the whole state of Queensland. So, which it was, it was a great achievement. Why you—you you guys were the only two Italians there? <laughs> um, Joe, you know, our, our program is kind of has three parts and uh, the third part is kind of more of a general view, not about uh, a specific restaurant you open, more about general view to, to give advice to uh, people that want to either join or open their business. And I have one question for you because um, well, I have many, but one that is really important for me to understand. Um, in the restaurant business, you mentioned 15 partners to start El Sonio. You mentioned Capo, you were your own boss and your own partner. You mentioned Borgo, which I know you had partners. Yes. And how is it to work with partners as a chef that has a vision and a dream and is the guy who basically knows how to run, operate a restaurant and how to create a menu versus the financial advisors that looks at the bottom line only? Yes. Well, it's, um, <clears throat> there's different degrees of partnership. I mean, uh, there's the, the partnership that you have where your partner works with you um, in the restaurant, in the business. And that's uh, probably uh, the most difficult one um, because you see your partner every day. And of course, disagreements are uh, always uh, coming out. Uh, and, um, and sometimes there's a big arguments and sometimes you just work things out in a friendly way. Uh, but that partner is always present. So you always have to justify your decision, decisions every day to your partner. Uh, the other uh, partners, like the silent partners, those are the ones you mentioned about. They, they care about the bottom line. Are you making enough money for us? That's a different partnership. But I prefer those, those partnerships to to the ones of hands-on kind of partnership. Uh, Why? Because it um, because your decisions are the ones that are going through. You don't have to consult anybody. And, uh, and ultimately, if the restaurant makes money, once again, you take all the prices. Um, and uh, sometimes, you know, uh, when you do open a restaurant that is of a certain size, then you need to have those partners to give you that financial backup. Um, because by yourself, unless you you have lots of money, it's a different story, you do it by yourself. But if you don't, then your partners are going to come into play with backup finances and um, and all they want to see for them is just an investment. So they just want to see their profits and their interest uh, being paid. And uh, and that's for me, it's okay because uh, I know that you can, uh, that I can sell a product and I know I can make money with it. 
and I know they can make money with it as well. So uh, I prefer that kind of partnership. You mentioned uh, that you prefer the silent or financial partners, and you you also in your answer said uh, if you're making money, what happens if you don't make money? If because restaurants, I sh- I'm sure that not all of them make money all the time. Sometimes you make money, sometimes you look mo- lose money, and what happens when you don't make money and their financial kind of partners go, huh? The bottom line is not what I like to see as an investor. Exactly. Well, it's uh, definitely, uh, if you don't make money, you're in trouble. That's uh, as simple as that. Um, everybody wants to see uh, a return on their on their money, on their investments. Oh, they don't like cash calls? Uh, they don't like that, no. Uh, you know, you try to pay them with uh, bean soups and stuff, but they don't want that. They want the hard cash. Um, but um, it's, it is a, definitely a situation where, and as you said, restaurants, uh, uh, restaurant business is uh, one of the highest risk businesses to open um, because it's really related to trends at all times. Uh, trends change like uh, you know, like shoes and the clothes you wear every year. Something a little different comes out, and what you had from last year, although it's intact and still great to wear, you can't wear it anymore because it's out of fashion. Restaurants are the same thing. So we tend to be going through these trends, and you got to update yourself year after year. Uh, you got to sort of uh, keep up with the times. And sometimes your concept, it's not really um, uh, conducive to changes and you have to keep it the way it is. And, uh, and sometimes uh, because of that, your sales will drop. And, uh, but you always hope that things will come around, you know, like, uh, and your business will pick up again because people are going to try the new restaurants and they're going to say, you know, yeah, it's new, it's fancy, it looks good, the food is okay. But let's go back to Joe's restaurant because we always enjoyed food there. We always have got consistency and attention to details. So, and the partners in that situation, you know, they, they have to be understanding as well. When you sign a contract with your, or your, or your partners, you don't just sign a contract blindly. You have to make sure they understand the restaurant business is up and down. So you got to take the ups and you got to take the downs as well. Uh, so some months you have your share of profit and some other months you get nothing. And if they understand, if they sign for it, fantastic. If they don't, you don't sign for it because that's what it is. So from the name of your new uh, venture, Coro Italian Comfort Food, um, I guess trend up or or down, you're staying true to Italian Comfort Food. Yes. So you are prepared for the ups and downs. And so how are you going to kind of achieve that kind of profitability when the trend is changing? Well, uh, well, you made a very good point. Uh, the comfort food, Italian comfort food, is exactly that. It's sort of it's cutting through the trends. Uh, people always go back to their uh, comfort. Uh, you know, you go home, you get in your comfort uh, pajamas. You you go to a restaurant, you have your comfort drink. You go to, uh, I mean, that would be a bar. Uh, you go to a restaurant, you like to have your comfort food uh, because experimental kind of dining is, it's always been out there and still is, and it's always going to be out there. Uh, but when you're hungry, when you're really hungry and you feel like you want to, you want to go to a place where you don't have to think about what you're eating, uh, you'd rather just have a plate of comfort food, you know, in front of you, in front of you, rather than just go to a restaurant and try to understand and, and uh, you know, what exactly is it. Uh, you'll have to have the waiter explaining it to you. You have to have the chef coming out and tell her, you know, you got to have this way. Because comfort food is just that. You have it in front of you. It looks good. You eat it. It makes you feel comfortable and you're happy. That's, that's exactly it. So it's a, it's a way to escape today's world of, you know, um, culinary um, innovations. 
uh, going back to the basics, bring it back with a modern twist, but uh, still giving those very simple flavors uh, to, to your customers. You have a wealth of experience. Um, so if I come to you today as a friend and say, I want to open a restaurant, what are the three major problems, uh, faults you had in your past that you will advise me to avoid? Okay, well, um, two or three. Yeah, um, I would say that uh, things you want to avoid, first of all, you have to make sure that uh, you know how to compromise. Uh, compromise is a, to my opinion, one of the, the, especially if you're in a partnership as well, uh, it's a way to uh, move on rather than, it's not, uh, it's not regressing, it's progressing. Um, compromise is sitting at the table with your partners or with your workers and, um, and listen to what the people's comments are, your customers' comments are. Sometimes customers come in and they say, oh, you know, I wish you had this on the menu. And the, the young chef with the ego, it would say, what do you know? You know, you don't even know how to cook and you're telling me what to do. Because I'm a crazy dictator. Exactly. So, and, uh, but ultimately, if that comment is repeated many times by different people, it means that that dish maybe should be on your menu. So compromising means that listening to your uh, clientele and also to your staff and uh, uh, make sure that you can uh, uh, come to terms with that and say, look, maybe for business sakes, we should have this dish on the menu. I will do my own version of it, but I will put it on the menu so that customers are gonna be happy. Ultimately, you have to please your customers day in, day out. And if you do things your way and your way is not pleasing enough, then something is wrong. So you have to make sure that you have to please your customers at all times. So compromise is the best advice. It's the best advice, exactly. Um, I think we're getting uh, to the end of the show and I have one more question that I ask each and every guest. So, and for you it will be easy because the question is if you have a, if you had a chance to invite two or three inspirational people, characters that you would like to see for a lunch or dinner, which here it's a, not a no-brainer, who are the people that you will invite? Um, you mean as, as famous people or whatever? Um, famous, not famous, you can invite me, I'm always here. Well, you always invite me anyways, but... <laughs> I would say, uh, you know, there's, uh, uh, although a different style of cuisine and he's made history in the, in the American culinary uh, world, uh, I love the uh, chef Thomas Keller from French Laundry in, in, in uh, California um, because it's, um, uh, because he is uh, just like me, he came from uh, nowhere, no culinary school, he just started working as a dishwasher in a restaurant, moved his way up, and that's what I like about it. Perfect. Uh, Chef uh, Giuseppe De Gennaro, grazie mille. Grazie mille. Uh, thank you for your hospitality at uh, this wonderful new restaurant, uh, Cotto Italian Comfort Food. Uh, and um, uh, I want to thank you for the coffee. I like the, the Americano you prepared for me. Um, if you guys uh, think about sales, you should listen to our uh, program next week. Uh, we're going to host Mike Lipsy, owner of the Lipsy School of Real Estate. Uh, again, it will be here on Tuesday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. I want to thank our listeners for, uh, you know, sticking with us, and, and I hope you enjoy the show. We have now listeners from 12 countries around the globe, and uh, I'll meet you here next Tuesday, April 4th. Have a prosperous and wonderful week. Thank you for listening to Taking Care of Business. Please join David Wallach again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Until we talk again, make your week as great as you want it. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america variety channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericavariety.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network it's staff and management.